Lunchtime Live with Andrea Gilligan on News Talk. Should we talk about porn more openly? A um, new study out in the UK shows how porn can link to sexually harmful behaviour in children. Take a listen to Helen Rumbelow, who's a feature writer with The Times. She was actually talking about her research here on Breakfast earlier this morning and the kind of content that was actually available online. I just open up my laptop and, you know, look at what's the most popular on the homepage of Pornhub. And there were 32 little videos that you could watch. And of them, about a third involved, you know, quite distressing violence towards women. We do talk a little bit about how these kind of violent practices are showing up in the kind of dating etiquette of 20-somethings. You know, it's these things like choking, slapping, this kind of thing um, that is very directly now the result of pornography. That was the majority of it, but there were a couple that were you know, seriously grueling and I would say would, you know, in any other context make you seriously think this was some kind of sexual assault. So that's just uh, Helen um, Rumbelow talking about, well, a flavour of some of the videos and the content that was available to access on um, on the site Pornhub online. We're asking though, like, do we have enough conversations, open conversations in general about porn? Do parents talk to their kids at all about it? Should we be chatting to children or even teenagers from a much younger age. I mean, Helen talked about, we're talking about people as young as 13, 14, um, accessing porn sites. So 1800 453 is the number. Stephen is with us on the line. Stephen, do you think there's a need to have more open conversations about this? Absolutely. You know, there's, and you're not even kind of scratching the surface of starting to get into other like kinks and fetishes and things like that when that lady was talking about what she sees on the front page of you know, one of the biggest porn websites on the planet, you know. Um, my parents did not talk to me about porn. They did not talk to me about sex either, you know. Um, never mind the concept of gay sex either. You know, I would love to meet parents that are actually having these conversations with their children and just say to them, you need to be talking about this to your children's friends, your children's parents, or sorry, your your friends, your children's friends' parents, you know. These these conversations are needing to be had, you know, because the kids at 12, 13, 14 see the bodies of the porn stars as something that they need to have. And they see the actions of the porn stars as something that they need to do. And that's perpetuating itself over and over and over again. So it's the uh, the expectation, basically. What yeah, the standard it's, is. It's, the, it's that... Well, if this is what everyone appears to be doing, and this is what seems cool to my friends, this is what I then have to do, regardless of whether I feel comfortable about it or not. This is how I need to make my body look in order to be considered desirable. These are the things that I have to be willing to put up with, with a sexual partner, in order to have sex in the first place, but also to not be considered abnormal for not wanting to do something like that, to allow myself to be slapped or to allow myself to, you know, have sex without protection or anything like that. All of these things, geez, when I was a child 20 years ago, that was that was stuff that was being talked about, mm. you know. But nobody talks to you about, about it. it. I mean, I don't recall ever there being a conversation um, about porn at home or in school certainly in, in my time. But I mean, I, I can't imagine how much 
how much has that changed? I can't be. I can't imagine how much it's changed either, to be honest. Unless you've got the most kind of aware, educated, understanding parents who will talk to you about anything and everything and everything that you can possibly think of or have some kind of an answer or be willing to go and look for some kind of an answer to whatever question you could ever possibly imagine, the conversations are not happening. You know? um, so in the absence of parents talking about it and friends and everyone talking about it to each other and sharing whatever they can possibly get their hands on to each other, who then has to kind of step in in lieu of the parents? You know, I had a good, very, very good friend of mine spent a couple of years in the West as a youth worker talking about the Squashy Couch program, which is sex ed, basically uh, a way of teaching for youth workers to teach sex ed to the young people that are coming to their programs. And I was actually only talking to teachers yesterday uh, over a couple of drinks and one of them was a sex ed teacher and it's just like mm. the kinds of questions that are coming out are the same kinds of questions that were talked about five years ago, 10 years ago, yeah. 15, 20 okay. years ago. Um, Stephen, Rebecca's with us as well. Rebecca, you're 21. Like, are these conversations that you've had with your parents uh-huh. or in the classroom? Um, hi, Andrea. Um, no, they aren't. Um, so, yeah, I'm 21 now. I'm in college, but not too far out of secondary school and definitely was a discussion that I never had with parents or never had in school and any education I did receive was kind of just done through peers um, and you know kind of discussions like that um, I definitely agree that there should be education around porn um, it's not something that's going away it's not something that's not going to be used in the future it's you know a common enough thing mm. to be uh, to be used, and I, I, I don't think that you know ignoring it is the is the way to go about it. Definitely, there needs to be education around the topic. Probably the youngest person I'd say um, uh, in in the conversation here at the moment. Anyway, so far, Rebecca. But like, we're talking about people as young as twelve and thirteen. Well, this is certainly the, the British research, but any of the experts will say it's not too um, it's not too far from the reality here in Ireland. Like, are you surprised that that's the age group we're talking about? first accessing um no i don't think i am i mean i went to an all-girls school um definitely don't think it was something that is probably as common in kind of the female population but i'm not surprised by the the, those statistics at all i definitely think that's that's probably quite accurate and i think for that to be you know anybody male or female or whatever um it is you know at, at that age to be exposed to you know, that being your first exposure to sex education, I don't think that's an accurate representation of sex. It's not an accurate representation of what happens. And it can definitely be, I think, damaging. Um, there should be discussions had before that and education done before, you know, kind of self-education takes place. Mm. Um, Adina's with us as well. Look, it's 1800 453 106 is the number. Like uh, Stephen mentioned, if you're a parent who, who has actually talked to your children or teenagers about porn, about I suppose what the, the expectation is, how real it is, the, um, I suppose how it can maybe alter or impact on your attitudes towards sex as well. I want to chat to people today about this. Adina's with us as well. Um, Adina, do you think we have enough conversations about pornography? Conversations with children, you mean? Yes. <laughs> well, um, sometimes I wonder if 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 uh, people realize that uh, when uh, when you give 
children uh, such easy access to uh, all of the current uh, pornography online um, by just handing them an iPhone and letting them fend for themselves. Uh, if, if they realize how much damage that does, just uh, imagine, for example, you're a parent and uh, you have a daughter named Emma and uh, somebody somebody rings your doorbell uh, or maybe a group of people ring your doorbell. They are all in uh, BDMS gear and they say, uh, uh, could, uh, we'd just like to have a chat with Emma, and uh, she's upstairs, isn't she? And you just let let them in and say, yeah, go ahead. Uh, um, she invited you, I suppose. So um, that is actually what parents are doing when they're handing their uh, children these iPhones or those uh, any any uh, phones, um, smartphones uh, with very little oversight of what they what they are watching and then mm-hmm. suddenly find themselves in the situation of having to have these very um, uh, unpleasant conversations where you have to talk to children about things that should not concern them but it does because they they cannot control their own uh, minds i mean they are too young to to know that it might uh, harm them if they watch okay so if we accept then uh, that there's you know a greater accessibility then to porn for people uh, by virtue of the fact that i suppose you know a lot of teenagers have, have phones smartphones ipads and um, laptops etc mm-hmm. then is there not a need for parents to have well, more open conversations uh, or uh, educators th- the way that I uh, I have seen it in in, uh, in recent years is that there is a uh, a very strong uh, tendency to normalize and to legitimize um, porn and uh, porn in in any form and pornified pornified appearances of children and to normalize a, a type of body. Uh, dissociation that uh, cannot that cannot be good for anyone, and especially the dissociation of body and emotional attachment. You know, if you if you have any uh, violent or or even just um, uh, any any type of porn that uh, people watch online, of course there is no emotional attachment, and it never it can never be because it's physically it's it's mainly about the physical act or or, or solely mm-hmm. about the physical act so this is what uh, what kids uh, now uh, many kids grow up thinking is sex and uh, sexual uh, uh, relationships and that of course is harmful so well, if you have to have those conversations uh, you can talk to them uh, you can talk to them about the harm that uh, even creating porn has or does on those who are often trafficked into these uh, situations and they do not enjoy it. Do, do, do you, Stephen, think, I mean, when you look at the research that Adina mentions, um, the British study, you know, they found what the most common category of sexual violence was physical aggression, um, slapping, strangulation, hair pulling, gagging, there's a long lengthy list of, um, you know, of different, I suppose, different forms that have taken part of this. But like, do you think it's changed or how has it changed? How has it impacted attitudes towards sex, Stephen? I think it definitely has changed. Certainly in the last five or ten years or so, you could easily say that, you know, the idea of 
a dominant person having their way with a submissive person, whether they're men or women or whatever, um, is the new thing. You know, I only have to go on dating apps and it's all like, well, I want a dominant person to do this, that and the other to me. And uh, I'm just kind of going, well, okay, I'll t- we won't talk, you know, but... So it's it's actively it's it's actively um, put out there, I suppose, Stephen. And you know, even before you before you meet somebody, it's there. It's on the sites. This is what I'm looking for. Yeah, exactly. And because it's it's a self filling, it's a self feeding machine. The more people feel like this is what they want or what they are expected to want, and the more they need to express that. The more porn is going to be created, the more people are going to feel like they need to, this is how sex needs to be now. And it's just a self-feeding machine. I was saying to your researcher about, like, anytime the conversation about porn comes up and porn and talking to uh, children about porn, i.e. under the age of 18, you know, there's a significant argument that says, well, you're over-sexualizing the children, you're exposing them to stuff that they don't need to be exposed to Mm. preemptively. Um, the RSC curriculum is supposed to speak about or will be supposed to speak about porn and the realities of porn. Now, whether that's legitimizing it or not, because for a lot of people in the industry, it is their legitimate career, you know, and I wouldn't shame anyone for doing it because if it's something that they're enjoying and doing with their own free will, more power to them, the same way as anyone else is doing the job that they're doing. But you can't, you can try and put a lot of restrictions in place. People will always get around it, though. You, you know, I was saying, like, the idea that an adult might have to submit a picture of their passport or their driver's license as age verification to get onto Pornhub or something like that is not a bad idea. The website should mm. have done that years so and pro- years ago. Pro- if it proof of age then, so. yeah, for, for requirements. But, a lot of the messages actually coming in, and maybe I'll come to those, Stephen, in a few moments, or uh, that seems to be um, one of the things people are looking for, probably more restrictions around who's actually on the sites or who's certainly get, getting access to them. Gronya's with us as well. Um, Gronya, just as opposed to pick up on, on the points Stephen mentioned there, you actually think, though, that porn overall is very damaging. Is that right? That's correct. If you look at the research that's available on pornography and its effect on particularly younger people, it is extremely damaging to children and teenagers. The figures and the stats are there to link murder of women, domestic violence towards women. And I think also it really gives a a flippant attitude towards something that's very intimate between two people. And it reduces it. Um, I know Victor Frankl said, the greatest sin of the 20th century is reductionism. And when you look back through things, you will see that this is very true. Everything that once had some kind of a moral value attached to it has been so badly reduced, all of it. And you look at society today, figures on murders are up in Ireland, the murder of women that is, and the domestic abuse figures are up as well. It's all there in black and white for people to see. So I would encourage parents, while it's very difficult for them to stop children seeing pornography, I encourage them to educate them 
give them all the rest of the research around the effects and what it does and why it is bad and why and bad for them and why they shouldn't be looking at it. It's not that it's a, a huge no-no and, and because mom and dad said not to look at it. Mom and dad say not to look at it for a reason. Because it's not good for your health, your mental health. So you just don't think outright, you just don't think it's a good thing then for anybody at all, Grania? No, I don't. Again, the research is there that it's very bad for mental health. But it also reduces, in particular, it seems to be, uh, the attitude of uh, the attitude towards women or towards the value of women in society. Uh, it objectifies women. It's wrong. It's wrong in that regard. And it reduces anything that reduces the value of another human being is wrong. It's not good for society overall. Okay. Uh, look, majority of the texts coming in so far, 087 106 in general, people think, yes, parents should talk to their teenagers about porn. It's essential. If they have a phone, you need to have the discussion with them because the education starts at home. Again, another texter, um, absolutely some of this will be covered through consent and discussions in the classroom. But given how accessible it is, and the type of content kids are watching, absolutely parents need to have these conversations. Look, for parents who have had the conversation with their teenagers, with their children, whatever the age, we want to hear from you today. We're talking about porn and whether you're aware of the nature of the content that, well, your kids, teenagers um, are subject to, what they're watching. Uh, we heard from Helen Rumbelow. She was speaking on Breakfast earlier this morning. She's a feature writer with The, with the Times and she talked about um, the top, I suppose, videos, types of content that was available on, well, the the largest, most visited site, Pornhub, with one that doesn't require age verification. And she was explaining on breakfast this morning, just as part of research that she did, um, suppose the types or the, well, the level of content that's available, everything from, well, physical aggression, strangulation, whipping, everything. And we're just asking today, do you think we need to have more open conversations with teenagers, with children about this? From the age of 12 and 13, that's the age they're accessing a lot of these sites. Dominic is with us on the line. Dominic, you have um, you have a teenager in your house. Like, is it something concerns you? It has, of course. Um, yeah, we have sort of got three teenagers. The eldest is kind of currently in Australia. We're not really having to worry about her. Um, but our youngest fella, um, he's now 13. Now he hasn't got a smartphone because he's just he's just going to be starting secondary in um, September. Because we held off, we didn't want to get them a phone, a mobile phone or a smartphone until they went to secondary school. Because we didn't think they needed it, basically, until they went to secondary. Mm. Um, mind you, yeah, I think the problem is he's going to get secondary school and he's going to be one a nice bunch of boys, all hormonal, thirteen-year-olds. And yes, there will be curiosity about sex. Like, what do you expect? I was 13 year old boy once, so yeah, <laughs> I was that stage too. Um, will we talk to them about porn? Is, uh, is that your question? Will we talk to them about but, porn? Yeah, sh- should, should we talk to teenagers more openly about I think we probably porn? should. It's not like they don't know about it. Mm. And, you know, curiosity about sex at that age is kind of normal. Yeah. And they're going to look for answers and they're going to go to Google or the internet because that's where you look for answers. Um, 
He will. I suppose what we have done with our lot is their smartphone mobile access is kind of linked through my wife, as it were. If that makes sense. I'm yeah. not very techy on this stuff, so I'm going do you know what Dominic just let me cut across you Dominic for one moment if you don't mind because I I just want to try to reconnect there with you or just get a a better line if we can a better connection so just bear with us if you don't mind for a moment Um, text in from a listener who says as somebody who has experienced the adult entertainment industry and is now middle aged I would agree that the current access to pornography on the internet and the content that is on the internet has actually ruined sexual discovery for young people and it's something that they'll never get back the way that porn is portrayed online. These days, it's either exploitive or damaging and a little bit innocent. Uh, the innocence has vanished for many young people with their expectations around reality have nothing in common with sex anymore. Um, Nikki is with us on the line. Nikki, do you think we need to rethink how we address uh, pornography or talk to teenagers about it? Um, definitely. I think there's various types of porn out there and that's fine. Like Everyone has their own different sexual tastes. And that's fine, but we need to teach our teenagers this isn't real. It's like actors playing a part in a movie. Um, because that's exactly what it is. It's a video that's got shot and then it's online. Just like you can go onto Disney Plus and watch whatever you want, like superheroes. It doesn't make it real. But we need to be far more open and honest with them and talking about it. And I like I have two small children, so I'm not going to talk about it just now because they couldn't comprehend it. Mm. But when they get older and they're teenagers, I would definitely talk to them about it and be open and honest. I think there's also a part where the parent responsibility comes in, where you limit um, certain uh, things that their phone can access. For example, like my son, he's four years old, he has a tablet, but yet he is restricted on the internet to like YouTube kids and certain channels on that. He doesn't get everything. I think the same has to happen for, for early teenagers and preteens. Um, I think that is a parent's responsibility, but I also think it's parents' and schools' responsibility to teach children that these different types of sexual tastes exist. They're not for everyone, and that's okay. You don't need to do everything you see. So you, th- you think it is, given the nature of it? Like, are you surprised, I suppose, in some way by, well, it's, it's like the violent nature that Helen Rumbly outlined earlier in many cases. I was quite surprised that children so young were watching it or like getting to uh, see it. And I was like, why are they so young and getting to see it? And like partly I think, you know, no restrictions on their phones, um, like internet restrictions, age restrictions. I think some websites don't ask for ID or to prove you're over 18 before you get on it. Um, but... I was shocked at the age, like the, the, the various types of porn out there didn't shock me because um, I know everyone has different sexual tastes, mm. but the, the age of children viewing it did shock me. And I suppose the fact that there isn't an age, you know, you don't have to verify. There's no age requirement or verification process for some no, of the sites. No, and that's, that's the problem. Like some of the sites don't have age verification, but then that's really hard to enforce. And another side of it is parents aren't, like actively blocking certain sites on like devices of their children. I think you can't just lay the blame on porn sites. I think it's both. I don't think it's just porn mm. sites, but I think it's parents and porn sites that are like allowing children to view that content. Like whether they they know about it or not is a different okay. thing. But I think there needs to be an honest and open conversation. And I think some of my friends who are a little bit older are embarrassed to talk to their their teenagers about sex. Like they're just embarrassed about it. 
Um, and it's like it's embarrassing, but like as part of your job as a parent is to do the difficult and embarrassing things sometimes with your kids. How do you think it's impacted attitudes towards sex, Nikki? Um, I, I, I think definitely like from reading stories on like uh, the newspapers and stuff like that, things have definitely because I would say there's more BDSM videos and content available. And they're more the top of the, the list of what is available. More people try and act that and then it doesn't work out. And then people are uh, traumatised by it. People don't like it, but they feel that they have to do it because that's what the other person wants. And I think the whole part of like BDSM, for example, it's all safe, safe, sane and consensual. And that's not getting taught. They're just like reenacting what they see in a video and not understanding the deeper levels of what these people are doing. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, no, I, I, I take your point. Um, Mick is with us too. Mick, I mean, you've been listening there to, to Nikki and, and, and Dominic. Um, like, is it just as simplistic as, you know, further restrictions on phones, um, verification processes, even to access certain sites? I think this is it's such a big picture. There's so much, there's so many aspects to this. And, and in in a way, I think, it's just looking, what can we do? Like, as, as concerned parents, as responsible citizens. And I would start by saying, and again, this is only deal with like part of the issue, I think, to the tip of the iceberg, is like, as parents and schools, schools, have, I think, have a responsibility, or at least should be at least facilitated to remove phones from pupils for the, the seven or eight hours that they're actually in schools during the day. So, in other words, pupils um, should have to keep their phones in their lockers or in their bags, but not be allowed to use their phone um, during during the course of the day. So I think that's a simple starting point. And then parents need, should be um, in agreement with this, that this is a correct policy for the school. But surely, you're, surely, I mean, they can just access it in the evening and... At night, when they're at home, like it's it's not necessarily always just been accessed at school at time. No, it isn't. Jerry, you're absolutely right. But this is a much bigger discussion. But I do. I am kind of like horrified at the idea of kids in school. Like in the, in the school playground, in the schoolyard. Um, that's just that's just one aspect of it. But clearly, uh, what happens after school? Well, that's a different matter, you know. Mm. And that's where the parents need to keep vigil, vigilance and, and 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 close eye. But I just do think that the that portions of the day at least when children are and yeah. children and young adults are in school you, at least do, do you do you have teenage kids make yourself or is it a conversation I, you've had uh, I do have teen, yeah I do have I've got some yeah I've got teenage kids and teenage uh, nieces and nephews and they're actually weirdly more inclined to talk to me this their stuff than my own children which I can kind of understand though as well yeah and like would they would they chat to you I suppose around what they can access what they can see and what what, what expectations are um, I, I suppose my conversation with them is about being a, a good citizen and I'm kind of trying to set a moral compass of like what's right and what's wrong, you know, as in, and that, that extends to more than just looking at adult content on phones. It's clearly about, you know, how you, how you behave about, with other people, you know, being a good neighbour to people and that sort of stuff. So, yeah, I think I couldn't keep it as part of a broader conversation, but... Um, yeah, it's hard. It's hard to know. It's it's not easy than a parent, right? Yeah, like it's 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 funny the reaction I have to say to this um, today, and maybe I'll come to some of the texts. I just wanted to chat to people first on air. Like people are very mixed about whether or not there is a role for the school, uh, or whether it's up to teachers to to chat to teenage well teenagers, kids about what they should expect to see um, when looking at 
pornography and it's fairly divided. Like An email in from a listener who says, I think it does need to be discussed with teenagers. Most people are too embarrassed to talk about it. Not all porn's the same. It does need to be regulated and some of it banned. That's why we should be talking about it. So the government should move, move towards regulating it. There's cowboys in any industry. Porn's no different. Regulations should also be there to weed those out. Uh, this listener says, what about tackling the sites though? They need to be fined for not having an age limit. Fined if kids are caught using them. There needs to be more accountability for online content. It's the government that needs to clamp down. Damaging society and relationships. And the majority then of the texts are split between whether it's up to the parents or the school. Lunchtime Live with Andrea Gilligan. Weekdays at midday on News Talk.